When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to your second Buzz podcast of the week. I'm Trev Denny and I'm joined by Dave Hendrick as we have made a slight alteration to our plans because after we had a little chat when the mics went dead on, uh, on the back of the last episode, we discovered that we had a local piece of art that we just needed to use as the subject matter for an episode. And we both got so excited that Lots of doing it, Dave, that couldn't hold ourselves back. We had told people that we were going to go and have a look at Silence of the Lambs. Mm. But the lambs uh, will have to wait because this week we're going to look at the vanity project that is Fatal Deviation. Now, a lot of people just through being kind of permanently online will have been exposed to fatal deviation as a concept. A lot of Irish people will certainly know about it. But what's striking, Dave, is how many individual shows on YouTube are devoted to reviewing this masterpiece of Irish cinema. Um, the brainchild and, like I say, Van the project and vehicle for one James Bennett, uh, a man from Trim. Uh, and this movie made in 1997 and 1998 has gone on to acquire just the most remarkable status and we'll just be honest from the start if you haven't seen fatal deviation you'll still knock some crack out of this episode because it's so mm. mad gonna enjoy hearing about how mad it is but i would heartily recommend that you press pause now and go and watch it it's available on youtube and dave people are in for a treat man oh they are this is this is a magnificent piece of cinema so <laughs> To give people to give people a little bit of background, I nearly spat water off. <laughs> the the production, the first line of the production blurb is: James Bennett had been tipped off that Hong Kong film producers were interested in working with him, but wanted to see some of his work before offering him a project. Like that's that's a magnificent line that I assume has come from Mister Bennett himself. Yeah. Hong Kong film producers. <laughs> very, very specific. <clears throat> so, for those that don't know about this film, James Bennett, or, or Jimmy Bennett, as he was known back in the day, um, was a, um, is a martial artist. And this is this movie is Ireland's first, and maybe only, full-length martial arts film. And one of the publicity shots that is still burned in my memory is a picture of Jimmy Bennett in either the week, the Weekender or the Mead Chronicle, which were the two local papers of the time, doing the splits across the railway lines on the old bridge um, on the Dublin Road, with Ireland's answer to John Claude Van Damme as the tagline. Mm. And this film is is genuinely fantastic. So. The next line I'm seeing here, filming began in September 1997 with no budget in place. So there was no money to be found for this movie at all. 
they eventually managed to cobble together just under 9,000 Irish punts. And to their credit, they did manage to pull together a 76-minute film for that budget, which, you know, it's it's an achievement in itself that they were able to make this film. Yeah, I, 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 I particularly love how qualified your language is here because what we're dancing around, and <clears throat> I think as local lads, we want to be respectful and also we're aware that, well, I certainly had several fucking revelations that I know at least four people who are in the movie that I didn't know that I knew them before. Um, lots of connections. Mm. Um, I personally have, you know, a history in the whole industry uh and therefore and as does my brother and therefore we have connections there because he was my bro was friendly with the lad who was involved in the production here for quite a period of time so we have these trains back and just in case you think this is going to be one of those shows that we're just absolutely flat out sneering um as dave says it, 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 we're kind of in awe of it because it's, it, it is this movie, and I'm sure Jim, you will admit, is in the kind of so bad it's good category. It has to be, or you oh, would yeah. not have so many reviews dedicated to it on YouTube. But this is not going to be a nasty one in the kind of vein of some of them because, like I say, we actually, I actually know some of these people. Yeah, we, know, we know the area. Um, and we we have actually personal stories which will separate out our show from every single other one that's ever been made of it because we have these connections. So to flag this up really early, and if any, if, I don't know whether Jamie's the kind of lad who listens to stuff about uh, his work, and if he is, you can relax, man, because this is going to be a fond portrayal. But we're not going to have, we're not going to be able to say that, you know, either the acting is good or it looks good or anything really like that. Because as you said, it's a nine grand movie shot on video. The sound is absolutely appalling. It looks <laughs> like it was shot through someone's jocks. I mean, it's, it's, it's just an absolute car wreck of a yoke on every level. And yet I am kind of in awe, Dave. Oh, it's, it's. Like, it is, it is arguably the worst film ever made. Like, genuinely, it might well be the worst film ever made. But, the thing is, and, and, uh, it's brilliant. Like, it's genuinely brilliant in how bad it is. And, I believe your exact words were, ah, here we go. I've just had the time of my life watching this. <laughs> it's true. Can I it's, can I give you can I give you a bit of, a bit of qualification here? So at that stage, 1998, uh, my kid had just been born, and I had been in the previous years, say 95 to 98. I had made, I think, about four short films and two features with the brother. All of them did reasonably well in various festivals around the world and in Ireland. The brother was getting budgets from um, the uh, official uh, Irish film board 
Um, so we were kind of we were kind of cooking in a way back then, and I was very serious about this as a thing that I'd love to do. Um, and so I'm just going to be perfectly honest here. When I heard about this and I heard about the lads that were involved and the fact that it was being shot on video, I was immediately sniffy about it because we shot everything on 16 mil or or or, or 35 mil or uh, Super 8 or whatever. We shot on film back in the day. We were kind of snobs. And that makes everything infinitely more complicated. So when I heard about this, uh, A, I had no interest because I was in that kind of, you know, vaguely elitist way of thinking about film. And B, I was kind of almost cringing at the thoughts of it because I did hear a few stories at the time. They'll come out later on. Uh, and it just made me not want to look at it. So I didn't. Even at the time, I didn't watch it. So this was a revelation to me of the most joyous kind because, like, for fuck's sake, I'm watching it and within about three or four minutes, I'm going, that's my science teacher. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> this stuff is gold. And yeah. so I'm looking forward to walking through it with you. Is there any other setups we need to do? Because it feels like I don't know if we've fully given the picture of 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 of, of what this project entails. Like you say – the first Irish martial arts movie, um, it, it, an outlandishly ambitious project. You've got um, an armorer required because there's lots of gunplay in one particular action sequence. We've got a, a car that's rolled and wrecked and some incredible FX as it blows up. Um, you've got a love story. You've got a gang of monks who are, for some reason, uh, the uh, holders of some secret about uh, martial arts in trim. <laughs> 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 and you've got, uh, you've got this central character who um, has this outlandish story about a, a heroic father who taught him the ways of um, the, 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 the martial arts before being, having his head lopped off with a, uh, 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 what's the, it's a samurai sword yeah. for, for reasons. Now, this is basically the setup. I, I hope I'm not doing it, it, it any injustice there. Is there any other amazingly important detail I've left out apart from the fact that, and again, I remind you of this. We, I, I start all my podcasts with here I am in beautiful rural Ireland. You live in rural. Uh, Cavan. You used to live in the town of Navan. Yeah. Tim is a much smaller town. Yeah. So, Everything in this looks familiar to us because it's the landscape we grew up with, but it doesn't seem to suggest itself as the <laughs> the place where you might set a martial arts movie, unless you had to, because that's where you are. No, no. As as a as a young fella who spent a fair bit of time, you know, uh, chasing young ones around the different towns of Meath, <laughs> I don't ever remember bumping into any martial arts monks in Trim. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 like the, the, the film starts on a real high point where we see our hero leaving a, a very impressive looking building um, yes. with, with a sign that someone has clearly made on a printer that says St. Claude's Reform School. Um, and, and that's where we learn, OK, this guy's a, you know, he's a, maybe a bit of a bad egg as he comes out of reform school. I should point out that the tagline, the selling line for this film is, and I quote, a classic good versus evil action flick mixed with kicks, guns, motorcycles, 
and a hot babe. I mean, if that's not selling it to you, I don't know what is. I was very aware of this uh, film at the time. Were you? What kind of age were you at this stage? So I'd have been 16. Right, okay. When this film uh, was was gifted to the world. Well, like you say, it was on the cover of the local papers. And believe it or not, I came across, and it was unwatchable because it was such a shit copy, but there's a TV show called Nationwide, which has been on RT television for donkey's years. And it did a whole feature on Jimmy and the movie and the making of the movie because everyone was kind of like, that's mad. He's making a film, you know? Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah literally. Like, to be with fair, no money. He did wonderfully with the publicity to get on the front of all those papers, to get on national television, um, to wrangle all the pieces into place, including the difficulty of getting extras and, like I say, literally wrangling them, doing the action sequences. This is why... I, I think so fondly of it. Yeah. You, 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 you may look at the overall thing and go, oh my, oh my days. But at the same time, behind it all, the effort levels, and believe me, I know, because we did much smaller, easier to control things. Yes, we were lucky we had more money, but even managing four or five actors in any kind of a dramatic scene or an action scene, God forbid, that's difficult stuff. And, yes, it's a vanity project, but it got made. It got finished. That's the thing. And, like, there's a sizable cast in this, and um, two of whom, actually three of whom, I would have been at school with. One was in my year, uh, Richie Fitzsimons, who takes part in the tournament. He's the kind of shaved head guy with with the tattoo on his chest. He was in my year in school. So where he got a tattoo at 16, I don't know, but he had it when we were in school. Uh, so Richie's in it. There is, there's, there's one continuity error that we don't get an explanation of, which is when the, the hooligans are in the, the shop, they're in Birds Londis, located Londis, in, yeah. in Beachmount. Um, there's, there's two hooligans. Now, one of them is a, a shorter fella and the other one is a tall shaved head fella. And he's not in the credits, buddy, because I taught him. Yes, yeah, so his, his him. name is his surname is Ratty. Neil. Neil Ratty. Yeah, yeah, I can't. Yeah, so he's there, and then later on, the hooligans are back in it, and the smaller hooligan is the same fella, but the other one has been re- like the, the Ratty chap um, has been replaced by Paul Catrulia. And I grew up with Paul. Paul grew up in Abbey Grove, which is next to Ferndale, which is the estate I grew up in. Um, I, I would have known him, his brother Ross, and his sister Carla from primary school on through. Not not all that well in later years. Like we wouldn't have been close in secondary school. He was a year below me, but I would have known them when we were kids in primary school and that. Because for whatever reason, during the summer you'd all be knocking around the same estates and whatever, so you'd be you'd be right. friendly. Like but, right, and it's, so it's I, I would have known Paul quite well, and Paul himself has gone on to carve out. Uh, a career in in the film industry. I believe he works now for the British Film Industry, uh, or is the British Film British Film Industry uh, Institute is where he now works, I believe, or at least he did uh, a few years ago. So he's been able to carve out a bit of his career, but it was never explained why why there was that change of character, and then one of them wasn't credited. Maybe there was a falling out. Maybe he couldn't do the second day. Who knows? But it yeah. was very clear that that was meant to be the same character because Paul Catrullian never had a shaved head, but he shaved his head for this, which would have 
lined up with the ratty chap having had his head shaved in the first scene. It's it's it, that's interesting. And again, just for the, the sake of, of this, <clears throat> it sounds because we have a very easy way with each other that Dave and I have known each other like since we were young lads. We 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 only know each other through Anfield Index and since Anfield Index. So <clears throat> you're talking about a very short number of years by comparison. And certainly we didn't know each other back then, but Dave's mentioned this uh, Paul Catrillia guy who's in it. And I was aware of that name because I had pals who lived in Abbey Grove and I was hanging around there and you hear names because it's a small town. Mm. And you just, so I was aware of that name. And then I was aware of the fact that Paul was a guy who was trying to get, make his way in the film industry as well when, when, when me and the brother were doing the same. Very interesting, uh, these kind of crossovers. But can I just say at this stage, if you have... Oh shit, we've probably lost people now in terms of I sent them away earlier and now it's too late. But if you still haven't watched the movie, please don't watch the remastered version that was brought out in 2023 amidst rumors all the way going back to 2020 that Jimmy was going to do a sequel uh, to this, which was going to be called Dave. And I fucking shit you not. It was going to be called Fatal Deviation Krakatoa. Fantastic! Oh my God, that's amazing. That and, was, and was and was allegedly to feature a world famous action star. Yes, yes. Uh, it, it, uh, 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 also, the name Triple Deviation was being thrown about. I assume uh, the world class action star would be either Steven Seagal or John Claude Van Damme, both of whom would have been mega stars in the nineties when this was originally made. And now are, you know, the type that are making the, the direct to, to video type of release. Uh, they're, you know, the Hollywood has passed them by and their lack of acting chops has sort of caught up with them. So I assume, and, and, and uh, Jimmy Bennett or Jimmy Bennett is a, is <laughs> a self, uh, we'll get to that. We'll Jimmy Bennett that. Is, is a self confessed fan of both of them. He's worked with both of them on on other projects. Um, like he he has carved out a good career as both an actor and a stuntman. Uh, like a you know a back background actor, but and a stuntman. But I assume it will be one of them who would be this world famous action star if we ever do get uh, the long promised sequel. Yeah, and, and and to be fair, that you, you you've you've segued into it nicely there. We should just stay at this stage. So, if Jimmy's aim here was to go on and carve out a career uh, on the back of a movie, which in the first scene where he's in the reform reform school uh, has him surrounded by pictures of the likes of Van Damme on the wall. Uh, if his idea was that this thing is going to get me work or going to get my name out there, this is why. There'll be no sneering overall from me because the guy did it. He, the, you know, he he didn't go on to become Van Damme or Seagal in terms of opening movies on his own, but he went on to have, like you say, a career uh, using the th- the skill that he, he he had in terms of martial arts and literally take off the hat to a guy who does that because that's that is it in 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 and of itself such a rare thing, and it, clearly the lad wasn't lacking a vision and a plan for himself and the confidence to do it. But what I was saying was, let's not please send people to the remastered version, which was put together in the hope of the sequel coming out. They did some fancy credits 
there's some trad music going over stock footage of the cliffs of fucking Moher for some reason and mountains and seas and stuff that has nothing to do with Trin. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's a, a, a scroll talking about, you know, the background of these monks and explaining what fatal deviation meant. But the original movie doesn't bother at all with any of that type of thing. The original movie just starts, like you say, with Jimmy in the reform school. That sign, you skipped over it as detail, but you mentioned it, and it's worth mentioning. You have this gorgeous old stone building, and on the wall of it is a piece of paper with St. Claude's <laughs> reform school on it, uh, done in some sort of a shit word font. Um, and you're just thinking... Oh, lads, the budget was small. And why would you even show that? Because it paid me. Again, I go straight into filmmaker mode here. I was going, well, you can't do that. We'll just show them coming out of the place. Why would you put a piece of paper with crap word art lettering on it saying St. Claude's Reform School? There are some decisions made here in terms of what they considered okay performances, the dialogue, all these kind of things that really expose the fact that this should really have been a collection of training video montages. And Jimmy would have had probably the same effect in terms of getting his stuff out there to that lot in Hong Kong that he yeah. wanted to sell it to. But he didn't. And lucky for us, he didn't. Because the original credits have directed by Jay Bennett, starring James Bennett. You see what he did there? You wouldn't know who the two fellas were. They're different lads, you see. And, and this is my favorite detail, Dave, from the rock group Boys On, Mike Graham. Which yeah. Is yeah. Pause it. First so we, we definitely have to pause there for multiple Walking reasons. Boys On, rock group. <clears throat> the thing is, right, this would have been at Boys On's peak. Like, they they were on the brink of releasing, I believe, their third album, which I think was their their best-selling album. So, so Mikey Graham, as he's actually known to the whole world, he's he's sort of the one in Boyzone who you don't know who he is if if you're not familiar with Boyzone. Um, Mikey Graham would have been in Ireland a fairly big name at the time, and even in the UK he would have been very well known. Yeah, because so the band was really him, successful. Yeah, Boyzone were huge for for the their initial run. Um, to get him. Was was quite a big deal, so I, I'm not sure how they got him. I'm not sure what the whether all of the budget went to Mikey Graham, uh, which <laughs> explained quite a lot. But yeah. like, it, it's quite a big deal that they were able to get him. There's, it's notable that when you look at the Wikipedia for Fatal Deviation and you look at the cast, there are two people in the in the cast, who have their own Wikipedia pages. One is Mikey Graham, and the other is Graham Garrity, who is a local Gaelic footballing legend who played for Meath for a long time, won multiple All-Irelands, uh, is, is known for having had a trial with Arsenal, and one or two of the Arsenal players saying he was the fittest player they'd ever seen. And He's a bit of a terrible fella, but... He would have been a big-ish name locally, but Mikey oh, yeah. Graham would have been internationally a big name. So to get to get Mikey Graham in was was a fair effort by 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 Jimmy. And like it, it goes back to what you were saying earlier. Like whatever he may lack in in acting or 
directing ability or writing ability, he really does make up for what his ability to sell. Because like you said, he was able to sell this film to multiple newspapers, to nationwide. I'd be fairly certain there was national newspaper articles about this. Like he, he's very, he was clearly very good as a salesman because he had to sell something to Mikey Graham, who was a big star at the time to get him involved. Absolutely. And I think probably what happened there, because again, little bit of insight here. I mean, one of our sh- opening shorts that we did, um, it was basically just a two man short film. It was myself and Mick Lally, who you'll know from Glen Rowe. Right. And Mick was a huge star in Irish television at the time. And the kind of name that if you drop that people go, Oh, did you, you're working with Miley from Glen Rowe? Like, so this is a big deal. But Mick was doing it because Mick had an interest, not only in a few extra Bob, but also like, I'd like to work in the films. And so this was a thing that had a budget from, you know, the, the, the official, the film board budget. So he gave his time to it for a comparatively small amount of time. And I believe Mikey had tremendous ambitions in regards to his acting as well. Now, I said we wouldn't be nasty, but Mikey has literally no acting chops whatsoever. So you can often find these little gems or nuggets of 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 things hidden away in a film. So, okay, so Mikey wanted to be an actor. Yeah, cool, I get that. I wanted to be an actor. We, we share that in common. The performance, Dave, like, I mean, it's it literally no different from any of the rest of them. He can probably deliver lines a little bit better than my favourite character in all of film history, which is Lachlan. But not much better. You know, he's probably a little bit better than Jim, but not much better. So, again, I think it was just a confluence of Mikey's ambition and ego, Jimmy's ambition and ego, and some local lad, the aforementioned Lachlan, who is a local solicitor, also with some ego, deciding we heard, at least, to pretty much pull up the majority of that funding for the film yeah. in in return for having a starring role. <laughs> yeah, and, and being perhaps the most wooden man Ever in the history of film. You're right about Mikey Graham. He has no acting chops. What he has is he has a bit more polish and a bit more comfort in front of camera. So his his lines, at least, there's a bit more of a natural flow to what when he speaks. That's a good point. That's because a good obviously point. he'd have gotten quite a bit of media training through the whole boys own thing. Yeah. So he'd be used to being in front of camera. Obviously, he'd been on stage and performed in front of big crowds as well. Yeah, he doesn't have that stage fright look that all of the rest of all them have. Of the, all of the rest of them have. Like, every one of them just looks terrified to deliver their lines at different points. And um, Lachlan, in particular, who, like you said, a local solicitor in, in the Trim area, uh, is believed to, you know, that put up most of the the money for the film the the eight thousand nine hundred Irish punts as they were at the time uh, in return for having a starring role and it is a starring role like he is one of the very main characters in this in this production oh Mikey Graham's how they got it onto nationwide Mikey Graham's how Jimmy was able to sell it to the local newspapers that we can't underestimate that it's a huge huge part mm. of it yes his star has long since fallen but at the time like you said part of a hugely popular um, pop combo uh, in the wake of Take That and just 
a, a, a big, big star that helped get this thing made, helped Jimmy to be able to push it out there. That's undeniable. I want to get into some of the details of the movie. How do you feel about that? We, oh, we, yeah. I think we've set it up enough. So we see Jimmy, yeah, he's leaving the reform school and he's walking through this mist and you think, oh, yeah, that's an atmospheric shot. And then you realize, no, everything is going to look this shit. Everything looks like it's in the mist. It's shot on a video camera of the time. You can see that. it's The sound is absolutely appalling. So many of the lines are lost. But it is what it is. They have, they're having a right go. And I understand what it is to do small budget stuff. So I'm, I'm not going to, like, it's, we're just saying what we see. Um, a lot of slow motion in this, Dave, as well. They love a bit of fucking slow motion. Yes. Because slow motion immediately uh, tells you that it's emotional and, um, that the, the central character is having a time here. He's having, he's thinking his thoughts. Uh, he rides back in his gaff, which is an absolute kip. Um, and he starts throwing over a few chairs and fixing the back up. And there's a Buddha statue, which triggers the first flashback to, um, uh, his da throwing some martial arts shapes. And, uh, we see the first example of Jimmy's, uh, acting really where he does this closed eyed thing. Like this is conveying that I'm having a, a flashback here. You see, uh, we had already in the very first scene, an example of how he was going to deliver his lines. And Jimmy, if you're out there, man, you know, hats off for having a go, but like, uh, it's, it, it's spectacularly wooden. He'll admit that himself. The, uh, they're the first lines of the film, man. You'd think he'd have said them to himself a few times so they'd have that kind of natural flow, but no, uh, the delivery throughout by almost every character, especially Lachlan, who is like world class awful, uh, is, is spectacular. And we get to the first proper set, set piece of the movie, which is set in Londis. Now I want to explain something here. I lived around the corner in a state there called Balrisk village, uh, uh, for a while. Literally while this movie was made, I was living there. So I'm intensely familiar with that Landis. You look back and there you go, Jesus, that was an awful kip. Uh, but that's where I used to go down and do my shopping and on a Saturday morning get my, my chicken fillet roll or whatever. And mm. we see the sign for Landis and it's just so grim looking. And then it goes inside and we see Jimmy's doing his shopping, you see. And Nicola, who's going to be the uh, aforementioned babe from the blurb that you spoke uh, about, is there doing her shelf stacking crack. And we see the two lads who are a pair of reprobates messing about, throwing bread rolls into trolleys and just doing some daft aping around. It's completely, completely unbelievable. They look like overgrown toddlers. They just, there's no direction. They're not being told, hey, you know, you do this. No, no, that, that doesn't look believable. They start bouncing off each other and causing a mess and knocking over bits and bobs, eggs and uh, to- toilet roll mountains that Nicola is making. And we get to see the first intervention of Jimmy. And Jimmy comes in. And he says, you're very bad uh, uh, to be, har- are you very, was it very hard men or something like that to be harassing young women? And, he gives one lad a kick in the stones. <laughs> the tower collapses and he does a super move kind of high kick, which stops, you know, probably a good foot in front of the other lad's face who we spoke about. And I'm going, I taught that lad. Now, before all this begins, they come in, these pararepirates come into Landis with their big you know, toddler heads on them and they grab a trolley off a lad. And Is the that lad, Patsy Cantwell? It's Patsy Cantwell who taught me science, man. Yeah. <laughs> 
that's Patsy. And Patsy's looking completely bemused. And there's an outtake where Patsy looks even more bemused because what happens is in the initial one, they grab the trolley and they drive the trolley straight into a shelf and knock it over. <laughs> and Patsy's putting his head, his head up to his forehead and going, oh, Jesus. And I like... <laughs> I, I had flashbacks to five years in the classroom with that lad. He taught me science, and then I did chemistry because I liked Patsy so much because he was a mm. sound man. Oh, I great sh- man. I was shit at chemistry. I should never have done it. But, you know, I, 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 this is this is how close we are to this case thing. Oh, yeah, but Patsy Cantwell is, is, was a, a genuinely lovely man in the, when you were in the school. like, um, And, and so, was the, so were the other Cantwells. Uh, Johnny would be Patsy's brother. Etna would be Johnny's wife. Um, Etna passed away, I think, last year. Uh, she Johnny, too. Yeah, yeah. They, they, these were these were lovely, lovely people. Uh, Etna Cantwell would would be heavily involved in the Navan Historic Society in over the last kind of fifteen years or so, and she's done great work for the preservation of of the few good things that we have in the town. But yeah, to see, it, it, I, I watched I, and I remember, like. I remember watching it years ago. I've been like, I know that fella. And not passing any remarks, but re-watching it this week. And you're kind of, you know, you're pausing it and you're, you're marking things down that you want to, want to bring up. I said, that's Patsy Cantwell. <laughs> yeah. It's fucking like, mad. Didn't they so, tell him they were filming? Is Patsy just in doing a shop? And like, these lads have just been told here, go over and rob his trolley. I and wouldn't be, yeah, I wouldn't be at all surprised if he was wrangled into it on, on, at the last minute because it seems like an odd thing for him to be involved in. But Dave, in one scene, you have my ex-teacher and a student. Yeah, like, like holy it is, shit, it's fantastic. Like in in the supermarket where I did my shopping at the time. So, like like I say, we could not be closer to this case. And you're listed off names of people who I also know who are related to the lad who's in this incidental scene. But man, we are in for a treat. Because we get the first emergence then of our big bad, the villain that is the uh, local solicitor lad we talked about who plays a fella who's a drug baron, apparently, called Lachlan. Lachlan emerges from one of the shittiest lens flares you'll ever see. Uh, there's a lad sitting in the foreground. There's a lens flare and Lachlan comes out of it. He's in a suit. This lad, if he's not 65, I'd be amazed. He's a portly gent with uh, a, a, a bald head and the, the, the long hair to the side look that was common amongst Irish owl lads at the time. He's wearing a suit. He's wearing shades. And he's got a little small sort of pop gun thing that he points at his henchman's head. And he says, I'm not paying you to sit around here on your arse smoking. Here, and he hands him the gun, to the ridge. <laughs> and your man runs off. Yes, boss. And runs off. And I literally, have, we're, what are we supposed to think is happening here? Because the setting for this, there are two settings for all of Lachlan's stuff. One is a kind of impressive, kind of a gaff. The uh, see filmed across a long, impressive slab of, of uh, uh, manicured lawn. 
And then when you get into it, you realize that's not where they filmed that at all. Uh, they probably filmed that in a hotel, in a hotel sort of reception room or something, because there's fucking no furniture at all <laughs> in any of the scenes. There's one couch in the middle of the room or something like that. Um, so they or probably chair f- bed into a corner, <laughs> chair bed into a corner. And then the other place that they have absolutely extreme uh, access to is a pure kip of a mobile home in a quarry. Mm. Now, it's not exactly salubrious for a lad who is just about to go and meet his, his henchman Seagull, who's back from Hong Kong, having done a job for him. I like the way they got the Hong Kong reference in to the film, though, like, you know, letting them know, like, we, we know, we know about Hong Kong, like, but it is, it's just, it's fantastic. This, this is the, the local drug baron, a man of, of great means who has absolutely nothing to his name by the looks of things. <laughs> now, like I say, there's a set piece coming up. Did you, did you want to pause and talk about the white Merc scene? I, I assume you do. Yeah, I think we should. <laughs> I think we should, because this is, again, the second time we get to see Jimmy strutting his stuff, because Nicola, uh, again, from the supermarket, the aforementioned babe, is sort of walking through the town, and one of these henchmen, a, a, a ponytailed gent, emerges from a white mark. Um, it would have been a pretty new car at the time. I think it was 92 or 3 Reg. Uh, uh, so it's a fancy car, in the commas. And he threateningly pushes some flowers into Nicola's face and telling her that they're from Mikey uh, and she doesn't want a bar of it and she tells him to to back off the second henchman comes out of the car and gets a bit threatening and all of a sudden of course Jimmy's there looming in the background uh, and uh, before we get to see Jimmy looming we get the first shot of this you could be confusing him with a fucking sex pest monk who, for some reason, is done up in the full monk habit and is looming in the background all the time. He continues to loom throughout the film, and every single time we see this monk for the next hour or so, or at least three quarters of an hour, he scares the living shit out of everyone because he just appears behind them, Dave. Yeah, just randomly creeps out of the shadows (laughs) to to, to lurk up behind you. Very, very uh, unsettling. And uh, not helping the fact that he looks, it looks like a wild man. But it's the the thing with the the thing with this scene as well is like this is this is yet another you know it's another opportunity for Jimmy to show what he can do. But one of the keys to this film, you have to watch the YouTube version, like Trav said. Don't watch the don't watch the the remastered one. Watch the original on YouTube. And make sure you watch the bloopers at the end, because this scene features prominently in the bloopers. Oh, God, does it? Yeah. Do you want to explain what happens here? Because it's well, fantastic. Jimmy kind of, you know, does it does a bit of kicking, does a bit of punching, and then he launches a fellow over what looks like a high wall from from the vantage point that the camera is at. Turns out it's a bit a foot and a half down. But he launched man over and your man landed on his head and buckled himself. <laughs> so in the in the thing in the in the bloopers, you just see a really concerned Jimmy and the director running over. Are you all right? And your man's there rubbing the head. I'm not doing that again. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. No stunt training was provided for this film. Did so, you notice? Did you notice in the final cut that his actual pain yelp gets left in? Yes, it had to. 
It's too it's good. Pr- probably the only moment of genuine acting in the entire film. <laughs> it's this lad's shout of actual pain as he's uh, humped over the the low wall uh, by by Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy, who's done a bit of standard, you know, uh, throwing himself awkwardly across the bonnet because that's what you do, of course. Uh, and now Nicola's obviously totally in love at this stage. You know, she says at one stage later on, nobody's ever done anything for me like what you did. And, uh, you know, we're, we're into the, 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 the cliche territory. And Jimmy tries his first, uh, line of the match or, or of the, of the, of the movie. Why don't you Boy Scouts go and play in the woods? <laughs> what the fuck is that? Absolutely brilliant. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. The line makes no sense. No, but the, but the way it's delivered is, is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, there's no way I'm going to be able to do it justice when I'm reading lines back because, quite honestly, you need to see this. Um, and it's not just Jimmy. I, like I say, Lachlan is a, on a whole new level, and the bloopers around Lachlan as he's trying to deliver the most basic fucking lines in in the history of film uh, yeah, are the bloopers are great. And the oh. like the, the director fella who we should we should give uh, mention to Shay Casserly, uh, who took over directing midway through. Um, Midway through this film, there, there are two primary directors. I believe one is Simon Lynchied, um, and then the Shea Castley. J- James Bennett is obviously credited as a director because he is the creative genius behind this product. Yes. But Shea Castley's experience prior to this was making wedding videos. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I know Shay from that time because he was the only, one of the only people who was vaguely involved in doing anything with cameras. So obviously we knew him. You know, and my bro kind of knew him. I think they might have collaborated on something. So again, man, we're close to the case here. <laughs> oh yeah, but like, and, and again, if you Shane's can tell, man, you can tell that this is a man with a background in in wedding videos. It is shot in many ways like a wedding video. Yeah, and like, and, and you know what? Entirely again, within the same vein, hats off, taken on a project. Yeah. Like, and, you know, a, a very nice fella, from what I recall. I, I met the chap a couple of times only. Seemed like a sound man. And, it, like, this is a thing. It, look, it's getting away from all of them. They don't have whatever it is you need to do the various roles. The actors cannot act. The director doesn't understand what he's doing, apart from putting set pieces together, really, in terms of really tying this story. Um, but I, I don't, I don't want to bag on it for that because, you're talking about a load of amateurs having a go at something. And the thing they end up creating is such great value that it doesn't really matter. The, the, the as, as, uh, Jimmy's, Jimmy kind of forcefully grabs Nicola's hand that stage and says, come on. And then he kind of softens a bit and says, yeah, uh, it's okay. I know what it's like to be bullied. And he just marches off, just leaves her there. And, yeah. uh, you know, we get to, we get to Lachlan's and we see Mikey for the first time. And my God. I don't know if there's a better line in this. And I don't, I can't do credit to the delivery of it where he says, this is Lachlan and he's trying to convince Mikey that it'd be a good idea to get Jimmy to come work for them. And he says, wouldn't it be ironic to have the son of the man I killed working for us? Have him stop by and visit me tonight. Wouldn't that be sweet? <laughs> what the fuck is happening? Just fantastic. I mean, you're listening to these lines and you're looking at the lad delivering them, and he's—it's one of those. You know, if you get your 
your mom or your dad or your auntie to do a piece to camera for something or talking to the camera there and the real self-conscious look this lad has it all the time yeah. all the all the henchmen have it all the time and the lines as a result are, are you know wooden doesn't quite do it justice but but oh, they're, they're just endlessly entertaining i watched that line i, I rewound it about three or four times because I, I i was getting such crack out of it like i said to you a message you said oh, this is amazing yeah, <laughs> it's, it's truly, it is truly an amazing um, performance. Like the the Lachlan character in 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 a sea of of bad acting, like the Lachlan character really does he does rise above. Um, <laughs> really it, it is like Jimmy. Jimmy is wooden as all hell, but this fella, like. Because of the speech pattern as well, it's almost like he says a line and then they cut and then he says the rest of his line. Like yeah. there's just weird awkwardness to everything he does. And, and in the, in the bloopers at the end, like the director is losing his mind trying to get him to deliver the most simple of lines. <laughs> you just see him marching out the door, like exasperated. <laughs> just, he has just had enough. Like it's it's almost oh. like look, I know you gave us the nine grand, but like you really you really shouldn't be part of this. And just after that, we see the next intervention from them. So they go and they sort of try to get Nicola to come. The the Lachlan's henchmen, uh, the the goatee twins. And again, these look like lads who look familiar to me. But then again, it was a very common look uh, in the in the mid to late nineties. But they look like lads who I kind of recognise from around the town. The, those two lads, um, and they kind of at gunpoint invite uh, the the the. Uh, Jimmy to go over. Um, it's 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 odd, and the best one of the best parts is as we go to Lachlan's gaff, there's a gong noise. Dave, why is there a gong noise? I have no idea. I genuinely have no idea what the what the purpose behind the gong noise is at all. It's just randomly there, and for some reason, because of this film, it just works. It works well because you can't explain most of what's gone on here. No, you can't. No, you can't. You can't explain why the lads have taken a gun to invite Jimmy over or why Jimmy's so happily to go along with it. He's standing there, you see, uh, pumped to the nines. And he's in great nick, Jim. You know, wow, he's in great shape. And he can really do this shit, you know? And like I said... I, I really felt after watching all the training montages and my God, they're endless and all the fight mm. scenes and Jesus Christ, they're endless. Um, I thought, well, why don't you just cut together a reel from that and send that off? Because, you know, uh, you don't have to be doing any of the acting then. You can just do the very impressive shape throwing that he can do. Like the guy actually can do the stuff and, oh, he looks, and he's in good nick to be fair. He's, he's in tremendous nick. Like he might, mightn't have a movie star head, but he'd, he'd certainly do as a villain or whatever. And look, they arrive there. He's standing there in his gold gym, um, cutaway vest top, looking very awkward with his arms out. And, uh, as we get into, into Lachlan's gaff, this lad, he takes about half an hour to put his glass down. And it's not because he's old. He's just thinking about it, you see. And he's putting it down really slowly. And I had to watch it back because I was going, what's happening here? Why is this taking so long? <laughs> <laughs> Why is it taking it so long to put down a glass? But it does. And I don't, I, I still don't know. It's not like he's trying to draw attention to himself. 
Mikey threatens Jim about Nicola because you see Mikey's into Nicola. Uh, and, uh, you know, then, then we find out that he only invited him around and offered him a job, which, which Jimmy says he'll think about. He's, he's oddly calm about the whole thing. Uh, um, and then Mikey threatens Jimmy about Nicola. And, uh, we find out then as Mikey and, um, Lachlan are having a chat that there he's he wants to get Jimmy to work for him because it's a dangerous job, meaning he'll bump him off at some point and then he'll have for some reason he'll have killed father and son, which is his ambition in life. We don't know why. We don't, we don't we've no idea why, but it's what he wants to do. Then we have the first of the dates. I think there are six or seven dates, Dave. They're all various levels of cheese. This one's in a fun fair. Um, yeah. And there's a really weird and extended dodgem, surreal looking kind of uh, sequence with the distorted music and camera angles. And I don't know what they're trying to do. Why is it? Why is it psychedelic? What's I think this is one of the, the, the great creative moments in, in the film where, where they've clearly, you know, they've put a lot of thought into this. And, you know, this, this might be Jimmy. This might be Shay trying to, you know, to flex their muscle and show that they can do the complex. Yeah. But it, it doesn't really work all that well, but it does in the context of this film. It just it does. doesn't if you're watching it. Yeah. Yeah. It, there's no, if you accept that there's no reason for anything, like why would there be a gong? Why would Jimmy go? Why are the guys going around with guns, inviting lads over the houses? If you just accept all of that, I think you're 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 in for a far happier experience because yeah. you start asking questions like why are the fucking dodgem psychedelic? I don't understand anything. <laughs> you're in trouble. Um, so our weird surreal dodgems sequence, and we have our first uh, flashback that gives us a little bit of detail about the backstory. Now, again, if you watch the remastered version. <laughs> which is a comical notion because you're supposed to have something to work with uh, if you're remastering, uh, you know. Uh, but if you look at that, the whole initial blurb and there's all this extra information and we find out about Jimmy's, we're told about Jimmy's dad in the scroll and uh, how he was once a monk and all this kind of stuff that the plot kind of sometimes tells us little bits and mostly just ignores us and lets us get on with it. Um, but we have this flashback to Owl Bennett, uh, who apparently was a great lad at the martial arts as well. And uh, uh, he is being offed by a lad with a samurai sword. And Jimmy wakes up in a sweat. And this happens again, again, a second time. And then I think in the third time, uh, we finally get the revelation that it's Lachlan. But up until then, and that would explain why Jimmy isn't murderous when he sees Lachlan earlier on, because he doesn't know that it's him who's uh, offed his father in this oddly ritualistic way. Well, what the f- why is this even happening like that? What what had Declan done? I think it's Declan was his dad's name to warrant a, a beheading with a samurai sword. But anyway, Jim wakes up in a sweat and heads off for a, a three a.m. run. And, and sure, why wouldn't he? And many of these training sequences that we see Jimmy doing over the course of it, they're beside the sea on a beach. There's no beach in Trim, Dave. <laughs> no, uh, this this. This is the one thing that I, I, that annoyed me. Like, at least be geographically accurate. <laughs> Trim is a fucking long old way to the beach. <laughs> like, it's a good 40 minutes or so from Trim to, I assume, Betty's Town. 
Um, because where else would you go other than Betty's town? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, that, 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 like, oh, there's a few things that we've allowed to slide here. Like <laughs> the fact that the, uh, the suit, the, the, the Londis is in Navin while yeah. the film is, is in trim. <laughs> um, and like they seemingly just walk home from work, but you know, you have that. But the, 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 the beach annoyed, annoyed the piss out of me. I have to say. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's not just one sequence. They keep going back to it. And I don't yeah. know. Like, how much realism they were after here, but yeah, it's very much on. And again, this is, this is stuff only local lads would know. Uh, if you're a, a, one of the many, many American channels who have decided to, to movie review this, uh, then you're not going to be familiar with that type of thing. So I guess it won't stick in your craw, but then we see the second example of some fancy printing. Uh, Dave, first we had the sign. <laughs> Just slapped piece of paper slapped on the old old stone wall of the reformatory, St. Claude's. Uh, we're off to a terrible start there in the movie. And then the second piece of fancy printing is where we see a monk putting up a, a, a scroll shaped thing, piece of A4 paper, uh, with a, in, with in, uh, information about the Bialtana tournament that's coming up, uh, which is going to be, um, this, you know, annual tournament or whatever held by the monks where they host a lot of lads fighting each other. Like it's none of this makes any sense whatsoever. It's supposed to be mystical and tied into the whole sort of Bialtana, um, you know, rituals and, and, and ancient tradition in Ireland and why the monks would be piggybacking on pagan traditions. I have no idea why the monks are masters of martial arts i have no idea you would think at least one of the monks might look vaguely in shape as opposed to a whole lot of lads who they just literally scooped off about eight bar stools um in one of the pubs in navin uh, they're all middle-aged overweight lads uh none of them look like they do any shape throwing at all in terms of martial arts so i, I just don't understand what's happening i'd have put one of the lads like just one of the young lads in a habit and have them thrown a few shapes, but no, yeah. they just, they just, no, they just, they're not arsed. And so I think where we'll finish it here for this one is we get some more information. It's related to this Bialtana thing. And we get to see a little bit of Mikey here because there's a, a meeting of the goons at Lachlan's gaff and they're all sitting around a table. And one goon quite reasonably says, why is this Bialtana thing so important? Uh, why do we care what happens in it? And Mikey, who's sitting brooding over on his own couch. He gets a couch to himself. You see, all the rest of them sit around the table. Mikey has his own personal chaise long that he sits at. And he tells the lad that he's stupid. And he says, if we win this, we take control of the town. Why? <laughs> How? <laughs> How do you take control? It's important to us because if we win this, we take control of the town. Let's not bother explaining that either. <laughs> and off we go. And uh, he tries to get Nicola back. And we see instead, uh, she kind of blows him off. And instead we get uh, date two, which is an abbey. And <laughs> fucking the, the monk appears for the first time uh, from behind Nicola and Jimmy. And this is a constant running thing. Like I said, the two of them do, Jimmy in particular, absolutely spectacular oh i got a shock acting and jumped back <laughs> or to the side and i can't hear what the monk is saying because the sound is so shit 
uh, except for one line where he says, I know my past. Do you know yours? And what? Why, so, does, he sound, why does he sound like uh, Yoda? I have no idea. Like, he does. Like he, he, Why does he sound like Yoda? I just don't understand it. The, J- Jimmy's shock acting is topped only by Jimmy's I'm going somewhere I'm not quite sure, but I'm looking for something acting. Yeah. Where he does like these weird little kind of shuffly runs and stuff. It, it, this is it, this is a magnificent scene, though. <laughs> it really is. It really is. I mean, I d- <laughs> I'm I'm tempted to go further, but the reason we split this into two is because there's a huge amount left to chat mm. about. Now we won't have the need to do the setup in episode two or part two of this particular double episode. So I think then the fact that I've got all these notes left means that should roughly equate to another solid episode of stuff. And I don't know what you think, Dave, but if people have made it this far and they still haven't gone and looked at the original version on YouTube, it's like, what, is it an hour and 10? An hour and 16 minutes. minutes. 16 minutes. Go, it's, it's a treat. Just go and enjoy yourself and come back to us for part two next week. I think that's probably the best chain of, of of events here because people will certainly be curious now, uh, probably curious enough to go and look at it. And then when we're talking about it in more detail, and oh my God, there is some crack to come. Uh, at least they'll be familiar with it for episode two. This seems like the right way for us to structure this, man. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, it's it's Fatal Deviation. Pop it into your into your YouTube and it should be the first one that comes up. Fatal Deviation 1998 full movie uh shout out to the legend that is the kazal who has shared that with the world um it, it is it is amazing and there's there's loads of other stuff that you can watch as well there's little clips uh there's some people that like trev mentioned earlier have done reviews uh there, it, there's just there's so much good stuff there that i, I have to have to uh, recommend that this is how you spend your next week watch this film watch some of the clips because some of the clips even out out of the film out of the context of the film are even better and then come back to us next week for part two where we get into the real meat of this film and the most impressive uh tribute to jimmy of the film, which is these, this big, huge action sequence that's about to come up as well, where he does some fancy, uh, wrist flick shooting with two guns. Yeah. Uh, as he stands on a motorbike and takes out car drivers, random cyclists going the opposite direction <laughs> 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 and, uh, all sorts of goons with shotguns. It's a, an absolute masterpiece coming up in terms of this action sequence. We can't wait to talk to you about that. There's so much more that we get. We get to talk to you about Seagull, whose name is spelled incorrectly in the credits. <laughs> How do you get Seagull wrong, Dave? Uh, there's, he comes in, by the way, there's also a random shot of Seagull arriving on a Cessna magic. Uh, and there, there is, of course, there is, of course, the uh, note that we need to talk about um, where he is told to loose or else. Now we'll come to that next week. I genuinely can't wait. It's been a treat to do this. Um, myself and Dave delighted we came across something that we both have so much investment in. We will be back with part two next week. So from myself and from Dave until then, 
Good luck. Sports Social Podcast Network.